0: You're listening to The Deadly Dose, hosted by Harini Bhatt and Megan Gesner.
1: Dude, I have a silly story to tell you. It happened to me today, so it's fresh on yes. my mind. I just wanted to Please. share. Okay, okay. So, Harini, you ever wake up and you look at yourself and you're just like, you know what? I can tell I just look rough today. <laughs> oh like, yeah. Or, or it might, it might not even be like a fresh from waking up. It's just like you know, sometimes you have your really good days of how mm-hmm. you look mm-hmm. to yourself. You might look the same to anybody who looks at you, but to yourself, you're like, I can tell. I'm not. I'm. I'm my. I'm at my top best appearance. correct. And then there are days where you're like, I am frumpy dumpy. Yes. Like I'm frumpalicious. Uh (laughs) Okay. And I love to have that balance. Right. Because we all deserve frumpy days and we all deserve like, Mm -hmm. like you are just gussied up and you're looking a hundred percent. You just feel good. Those bad days are humbling. Uh They're (laughs) humbling. Okay. Now here's the thing. Here's the thing. This, this was a particularly humbling day for me <laughs> Okay, because we want we to, Manira and I went on a long walk and then after that walk, I took a nap. Okay. This is like one of those mid afternoon oh, naps. great. And I woke up around four. It felt so good, but I woke up around four and I looked at myself and I was like, oh, I look rough, like truly just fatigued, like my, no makeup. Yeah. Just so tired mm-hmm. looking. And I was like, okay, I can own it. Whatever. Put on my frumpy clothes. I wanted to go to 7-Eleven real quick just to buy like a drink or something. Don't little do little it. <laughs> uh, I live right across from the street from the 7-Eleven. And in my head, I'm like, I can, that's, this is the one place that I can go be from the yeah, dump. It's me. safe. Like, I can literally walk in my slippers across the street and go and get whatever and come right. back. So I was like, it's a safe, safe space. Seven <laughs> Eleven is practically an extension of my house. So <laughs> I just... walk across the street. <laughs> I get, I get what I need. And I go to the register. Uh The guy at the register is a dude that I see all the time. He's always so nice to me. Young guy, always smiling, always so pleasant. Um, (laughs) He definitely recognizes my face every time I go Yeah. This time, though, I get what I need. And I'm like, oh, hi, how's it going? And his face is like (laughs) – at first, he was like recognizing me. He smiled. And then, like, his face kind of fell. (laughs) His face kind of fell, and then he said something, but I can't hear because there's there's like a plastic mm-hmm. barrier between him and me yeah. for like COVID reasons still that they don't take down. He took his pointer finger and kind of touched his nose and said something, but I couldn't hear it. And it I felt like he was pointing something to me. Oh no! I was like, oh, I must have something on my face or whatever. Yeah. And then and I was like, what? And then he goes, oh, um, have a good day. And I was like, oh, okay. And I just walked oh, out, no. you know, la-di-da. I was like, what a weird – it definitely looked like he was pointing to – Okay. Like, trying to show me something on my face. So, I'm like, oh, okay. Oh, no. <laughs> so, I go back. I go back across the street. i like, I got my stuff. But that was a weird interaction. I'm like, what's going sure. on? Sure. I go inside. I walk straight to the mirror hanging in my living room. Full <laughs> no, 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 no. And – Dude. No. There is a booger. No. Hanging out of my right nostril, just free flowing, like not even wet. It's just like a dry booger strand, just straight out of my nose, visible to the world. And I love it because, like, I, I want to double down. I've had frumpy days, but never have I had such a frumpy day that I have a free flowing booger just, just hanging out. Oh my God. And I was like, oh no. That's all. Wait, That's all I had to share. That, that
0: poor man was trying to call your attention. And then, I know. never mind. And then he just, he was like, no, he was like, have a good day. He's just praying and, and then, hoping you don't go anywhere. You just go straight
1: at home. I know. Oh, God. The next time I go back to 7-Eleven, oh I better look the best I've oh ever my looked. God. <laughs> you got to look like you're walking
0: the red yeah. carpet. Holy crap. I know. That's too funny. Was like,
1: this was like a different level of unawareness, a different <laughs> level of unclean. That is so rare for it me is rare. to Poispels. walk out of the house with. Yeah. I will say, I will vouch
0: for Megan. I, that was not yeah. a hair, not a hair out of place. <laughs> typically, so this is
1: hilarious.
0: <laughs> typically, yeah,
1: <sighs> yeah. I was like, oh. So
0: there was no yes. passing of the mirror on the way out. There was not a quick glance.
1: I definitely looked at myself in the mirror on the way out. Like I, I looked at myself to, to know that I looked like not, the, not my best. Yeah. But it, nothing was showing out of my nose. Not the way that Man, it was. You must when have when had a back. massive exhale on the way over <laughs> <laughs> or something like if something just wiggled. and yeah. Just, Oh my gosh. Just imagine. And it's like, it was one of those boogers. It's, it's not even a booger. It's like skin. Yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah, it's white. Yeah, like it's a white, dry piece of something. Yeah, just straight out. Like well, I, I'm, I'm actually just shocked.
0: saying hi, waving. <laughs> <laughs> wanted to hang out. Wanted to say hi to the world. I'm actually shocked because I feel like when you have that situation happen, you can kind of sense it. Like you can feel like yes, like I couldn't when you breathe, breathe. Like you can feel like there's like you know like yes. those the flutter, the flutter.
1: Yes, yes, that's how it feels. Yeah, I. All those thoughts went through my head, Harini. Trust me. When I saw it, just hanging out, I was like, how did I not feel this? That's was crazy. What in the world? Yeah. Uh, God God was trying to send a message. Oh, man. God was like, today, I humble you. I
0: humble you all the you way to the humbled. ground. Oh, man. Yeah. No, you know what? All, all in good fun. That is hilarious. <laughs> I love you sharing that story. It's always good to, yeah. to take a laugh at ourselves, so –
1: Well done. Anyways, (laughs) let's proceed. All right, it is Harini's day to share a story. Yes, I'm excited to hear what it's about. Yes, Megan sort of knows already what it's going to be about, Mm -hmm. and I would really like
0: this Poison Palace to be a discussion, a Socratic seminar, if you will. So, all right, put on your thinking caps because I think this is quite relevant, and it will be. It will continue to become relevant in all our lives, especially if you are in the healthcare. Sector, and if you interact with the healthcare industry, which is inevitably all of us. So, listen up, people. All right, we're going to talk about AI, artificial intelligence in medicine and healthcare. And what does that mean? Because obviously, AI has hit the headlines consistently in the last couple of months, like we've had mid-journey, like I'm sure everyone has seen some of like the mid-journey images that have popped up. We've Mm -hmm. seen, um, Mm -hmm. I think it was lens AI that came up. Everyone was like doing all like the AI imagery of themselves and turning themselves into AI characters. It's just become very mainstream, but it's become, Mm -hmm. it has been this way in other sectors as well. So I would really like to discuss AI in general, but also in the space of healthcare. What does that mean for us as a consumer? What does that mean for people in the industry? And is it necessarily a negative thing? We'll talk about all of that Mm, kind of stuff. Yeah. Megan, do you have any uh, initial thoughts?
1: Before we dive, I I mostly only know about AI in the context of art and the music community. I think those are very AI and those communities have become very hot topics. Mm -hmm. Um, I know nothing about AI in the medical community. Mm -hmm. Okay.
0: I think that's something that we can
1: get into and
0: it's okay if we talk about other sectors besides music. It's, it's, this is about AI also in general, and yeah. I think the fear around it, which we can tap into right now, is there's a fear that AI will replace humans and replace not replace mm-hmm. humans per se, but replace our jobs. So whether that is mm-hmm. in the music industry, like we won't need lyricists anymore or uh, songwriters mm-hmm. or even music producers because mm-hmm. now we can just enter a prompt into this music version of AI, ChatGPT, and it will just spit out some you know song, right? So. Right. There is this growing fear around that and it doesn't help. And I think, Megan, if you want to bring up Mm -hmm. the Grimes podcast episode that we were discussing, that might be a good Mm -hmm. point. But there has been so much popular media over the years, whether that's TV shows, books, movies, Hollywood Mm -hmm. for sure, that have portrayed Mm -hmm. artificial intelligence or AI as this – Evil entity whose goal is to subjugate, mm-hmm. subjugate or destroy the human race. Like I'm thinking, I Robot is a big one, and just like so many, yeah. we have so many like robot
1: great or movie. Tech-
0: <laughs> yes, really great yes. movie. Yes, <laughs> where it, but but all of them have like this shared storyline of fear mongering, like these fear mongering depictions mm-hmm. that contribute to this negative perception of technology or AI use right. in society, and. Although these, I would think, sensationalized portrayals are highly entertaining to consume. Yes. The real impact is being felt now more than ever with these rising AI platforms, like I said, like ChatGPT and MidJourney and so much more. That's just like really scratching the surface here. For AI in medicine and the healthcare community, there is a tangible fear, and I'm feeling it on all sides from people actually know. There's this fear and skepticism Especially among the healthcare scientific community, that AI will render their jobs obsolete, fostering the sense of bias against embracing AI advancements in real world applications. While it is essential to consider the ethical implications, which we'll also talk about, and potential risks associated with AI, it's also equally important to acknowledge the positive impact it can have in these exact fields like healthcare and scientific research. And AI has already made significant strides in medicine. And its integration is only going to expand further in the future. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of like you either get on board with it or get on board with it because it's happening either way, Mm -hmm. right? And you don't have to love it, but it's important for you to at least do the research to learn and understand it and then form your opinion around whatever that might be. Currently AI is utilized in various aspects of healthcare including diagnostics, treatment planning, data analysis and personalized medicine. So this is these are all really big sectors. AI algorithms can process vast amounts of medical data such as patient records, medical images, scientific literature to aid in these early disease detection and diagnosis machine learning algorithms are being developed at hospitals around the world to identify patterns and predict outcomes, assisting doctors in making informed decisions. Hmm. That is something I really want to touch on right now before we jump into the actual story. What I would like to say, and this is my personal opinion, we should look at AI as a tool to enhance our roles in whatever we're already doing. It's not going to make... it. I, I'll, I'll backtrack. I was going to say it's not going to make our jobs obsolete. That's incorrect. Some aspects of our jobs will become obsolete. The day-to-day tasks, some of the more mundane and rote functions of our jobs that a, like a robot or an AI can do, yes, those will become obsolete. And the best example I can give you right now, because the, a lot of the fear I'm hearing from my friends is from pharmacists, who especially people who mm. work in retail pharmacy, let's say, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they're worried their jobs will become obsolete. Yes. Actually, a lot of the functions of a retail pharmacist, I can see becoming obsolete. Like you're not going to have a human being counting pills by five manually mm. anymore. An yeah, AI machine yeah. can do that or just like tech, technology can do that for you. You're not going to have to dispense, physically dispense. I'm not going to have to open a bottle, pour it out and dispense it. Like, no, we don't need to do that anymore. What does that yeah. mean for you as pharmacists? it means that it will free up your time to actually consult, to actually counsel mm-hmm. patients. Maybe now you can expand your clinical services. You can now st- start taking blood pressure readings. You can do way more immunizations. You can actually dispense birth control or PrEP or whatever and actually have a consult room where you can have these private yeah. conversations, right? Because again, as I've yeah. always said on this podcast, pharmacists are the most accessible healthcare provider. Let's utilize mm-hmm. you to your highest potential. You have this amazing degree, this clinical, clinically trained degree, and you're underutilized at this point, right? Mm, AI mm -hmm. will only enhance all of our roles if you choose to see it that way, right? So that's my mini take
1: on it. So, um, you know, given your hypothetical, let's say, you know, I'm under Kaiser Permanente. Please, Mm -hmm. I'm not... Don't sue me, Kaiser. KP. Um, not that I'll say anything bad. But like, you know, the the format of going into Kaiser Pharmacy, yeah. if, I would consider that retail yes. pharm- uh, pharmaceuticals, right? So you go in and, you know, you have some of the techs just – or maybe they are just pharmacy mm. techs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know. But, you know, you, you can see the folks – measuring and filling the bottles. And then you have the pharmacist at the actual counter to to take those to the prescription and give it to you and then give the brief instructions, right. blah, 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 blah. But it does always feel like if anything, what they're being utilized for, all of them behind that counter, it just seems to be like gathering the pills or gathering the medication and putting it in a bag and, and slapping an instruction label on mm-hmm. it. So I can see how all of that could be automated, correct? Which would be cool. And then in you know in your hypothetical, you said okay if that does happen, then you, we could put you guys to a more meaningful use where you're actually engaging with the people in the the lobby, blah 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 blah. But my question is, is there concern? Like, let's say you work under an institution like KP, is that even built into their job structure mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. to to or do you think? is that something that already exists Mm -hmm. under KP in their, in their job description? Yeah. Or do you think that's something that would have to be built out once, Mm -hmm. you know, the pill bottle filling or prescription filling becomes automated? Does that make sense? That does what I'm asking. Yes. Because it almost feels like they are put right now, they are put behind the counter just for that very, very, it's not basic. Mm -hmm. I don't want to, I don't want to make their, you know, make it sound like it's not easy, but like, they're put behind the counter currently to do this less person-to-person work. Yeah,
0: like very mundane – they're so, really mundane yeah. tasks, honestly. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I, I will say that as someone who has done a lot of that work behind the counter, it's mm-hmm. boring mm-hmm. and it's – not putting us to good use. Like I think it's ridiculous mm-hmm. that you have a doctor degree and you're counting pills by fives. Like that's not a good use right. of my degree or my time or anything like that. And even for the right. pharmacy techs, like I think you brought up a good question. Yes, there mm-hmm. is always going to be a role for the pharmacist, but what about the pharmacy mm-hmm. techs? Like they were, they really rely mm-hmm. on these jobs, and a lot of these pharmacy techs are they do farm tech jobs as prerequisites or just mm-hmm. to get a sense before going to pharmacy school. Like it's, it's a way for them to get okay. experience about the world of yeah. pharmacy before going there. And based yeah. on what I'm currently saying, that would render their roles obsolete too, right? So yeah, where I can see that happening, and I'll answer your question first before going into it. Yes, uh-huh. KP does not currently have that structure from what I'm aware of. And yes, they would have to build that out but i think that's going to be the yeah. same case for a lot of pharmacies around the world if especially the us yeah. they have to change we're all going to have to change mm. and it doesn't just mm-hmm. this farm ph- we're just using pharmacy as an example but the the whole structure of healthcare is going to have to change because guess what it's antiquated it's so antiquated yeah. and it has been for so long yes. it needs the overhaul it needs the renaissance if you will to mm-hmm. sort of push itself into the 21st century, which it hasn't been for so long. And I think it will be a welcome change. Yeah. As far as the pharmacy techs, they, I think there's still a role depending on the institution. I think KP will be one of them where they still kind of like the person-to-person interaction. They can still have the pharmacy techs. We still need people like managing the phones talking to doctors, mm-hmm. calling patients will still call in and want to talk to someone. No one really likes talking to automated purse like an automated message. We know that. So, we can yeah. s- that could still be a role. But yeah, so that that's just like a, an example of how it could go.
1: Knowing what we know about uh, a an health insurance company such as KP, do you think that they would even bother to build out a more patient pharmacist job description if things were to become automated in the pharmacy like Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I have very particular feelings about health insurance in the United States and I think that it's pretty well known that you know if they can make a buck automate things and they don't have to pay more people yeah yeah do you have any concerns that they won't adjust? They'll just be like, yeah, let's automate this. And then we don't have to pay pharmacists anymore. Well,
0: who's to say that the AI isn't more expensive? Right? True. It, true, true. We don't know. Like I can probably guarantee you that these these algorithms, these machine learning computers are probably quite hefty, quite expensive. So mm-hmm. I think it will mm-hmm. be a little bit of a mixture to offset costs, but also like you need a balance of a human being still being sort of quote unquote in charge and then having right. um, the computers going on or, or the technology around you. So I think it'll, that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't think we're going to just see computers. We're all the everywhere all the time. No, no. yeah. It, it has to be this yeah. balance of human to technology interaction. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yes, who knows? Like, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be like a cost thing. Obviously every I, at the bottom of the day at the, at the end of the day, the bottom line is always going to be the most important to, especially in institution like Kaiser Permanente or like any other clinic, to be honest, any healthcare institution. Mm-hmm. So we'll just have to see because again, I, yeah. I do think that the tech is expensive. So who knows where yeah. that will end up. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Okay. Let's get into the actual story. So we talked about the different uses of AI And, you know, with like patient records, data, personalized medicine, and things like that. But perhaps the most exciting for me, the most exciting notion is that AI has the potential to revolutionize drug discovery, streamlining the process and accelerating the development of new treatments across all diseases. And that's where I want to go next. And that's what the story is going to be about. Because I think that's the most captivating part of how we could use AI in healthcare. It's to identify new and better compounds to not not only treat, but possibly even cure diseases.
1: Hmm.
0: And there is a company out there called Collaborations Biosciences out in North Carolina that is already doing this. And in 2022, Collaborations Biosciences was invited to a major security conference in Switzerland. What do those two things have to do with each other? Tuck that into the back <laughs> of your mind for now as we as I tell you a little bit more about this company. Okay. So Sean Eakins is the founder and created the company back in 2015. The primary focus of the company is to build machine learning models for therapeutic and toxic targets to essentially design new molecules and compounds for drug discovery. In layman's terms, they use a computer to sift through a library that contains millions of potential drug molecules to discover and develop new medicines we've never seen before. So, pretty freaking cool and state of the art. Fabio is a colleague of Sean and is one of is the one who's actually developing the code and the algor- algorithms for this AI. And the way that the AI works is pretty similar to ChatGPT but for drug development. This chat GPT is called Megasyn, like megasynthesis. Mm -hmm. Collaborations Biosciences mainly looks at orphan diseases, which are these super rare diseases that only a couple hundred people in the country have. Why why do they look at this? Because pharmaceutical companies historically don't develop drugs for orphan diseases because it's not as profitable. However, I do believe that sentiment has changed a bit. Anyways, Sean and Co decided to use their AI to find potential new medicines to treat these orphan diseases. Okay, so what they'll do is they will essentially enter a prompt, just like with chat GPT, provide all the parameters. We need to find a molecule that will hit this particular enzyme, receptor, what have you, irreversibly, not irreversibly, and we want it to have a half-life of at least one to two days with good oral bioavailability so the patient can take it as an oral pill only once a day, so on and so forth. Like, sky's the limit in how how much you want to devi- mm-hmm. define this, right? They mm-hmm. enter this prompt and the AI will do its thing. It will sift through this magical drug library until it spits out an answer. Let's say Megason can't find a molecule within this pre-existing library that meets all the criteria. This is where I think it gets interesting. Fabio trained the AI to understand chemistry and how molecules go together. So in the scenario that there isn't a compound that matches within the library, the AI will then create its own molecule that does meet the required specifications by chemically engineering a novel compound. That is really fascinating.
1: So like a novel compound that we as humans have not even come uh, uh, created structurally or anything. Okay.
0: Correct. Like obviously like there let's just say like you have your your molecules like nitrogen, oxygen, carbon, whatever. It's right. basically just rearranging them,
1: building them to something we've never seen before,
0: which is crazy. I'd to-
1: <laughs> yeah, I'd love to understand the coding for that I I don't know anything about any of this, but when we do our episodes where we do focus more on a drug or poison Mm -hmm. or whatever, there are obviously, I feel like there's an unlimited number of structures that exist. Correct. And I'm curious if his code was just like a simple, here's all the structures that we know or like the possible combinations that we have mm-hmm. and do your thing, little machine. Yes, but I just it it goes back to my kind of what you were saying about if if the pharma- pharmacy retail pharmacy becomes automated, you're always going to need a human element. Mm-hmm. There is a part of me that just naturally is like, I think that's so cool that that this machine is learning to create novel compounds. But there, I'm like, there's always going to be human error. Like, I don't know, there could be human error within that. <laughs> yeah creation of that learning
0: yeah i don't know i i see what you're saying because at at the end of the day it's a human that's setting the algorithm functions right, right. is that what you're saying yeah mm-hmm. completely agree yeah and and i think the way the best way to think about it is he's ba- this ai is basically a chemist right okay fabio mm-hmm. has inputted all of like let's just say like all of history's possible chemical reactions, like the Hoffman's reactions or whatever, all like when you just dis- distill, all, like when what happens when you put this compound and mix it with this compound, like every iteration mm-hmm. that has ever been recorded mm-hmm. is going right. into this megasin. So they have all the ingredients right. and now they are have the ability to basically put together all these different, because at the end of the day, it would take a chemist or an RD lab. Twenty plus mm-hmm. years to do what mm-hmm. this megasyn is doing in a matter of hours, right? So it's it's mm. basically a function of time where it can just like quickly, quickly like go through all these different possibilities and be like, nope, 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 no nope, yeah. x x x x, and so it's just like a you know, right. like I said, a function of time. So exactly yeah. how that works again, it does go a little bit over my head, but I can sort of get mm-hmm. the sense of how it's being done and if it is
1: mm-hmm.
0: working, that is pretty phenomenal, mm-hmm. right? it's yeah. cutting that time down by yeah. quite a bit. Again, I totally understand what you're saying. There is still like that human element of that origination of where that idea and those parameters are coming from. So, and I will say that this story does have a poison element. <laughs> oh, so we'll get okay. there. We yeah. love a poison element, <laughs> a twisted, a twisted turny one. All right, let's keep going. So where was I? Okay. Um Okay. Right. Okay. So yes, they, it can essentially, if it can't find something within the library, it will create a novel new compound. So Mm -hmm. Sean Mm -hmm. and Fabio, they're doing this good work. They're getting traction. And in the midst of that, they receive an invite to the Spites. I want to say either Speets or Spites Convergence in 2022, Mm. which is a conference that looks at dual use in science and technology. Megan. Do you know the term dual use? No. Okay. Right answer. Correct answer. Let's not even try and attempt (laughs) a guess because I didn't know. All right. What is dual use? It's when something can be used, very basic terms, can be used for good and evil. Like we talked about how nitrogen mustard in a previous episode, nitrogen mustard was used as a poison gas in World War II but also became the first use of chemotherapy Mm Another good mm-hmm. example is nuclear weapons, and then nuclear energy. Right, so a little mm-hmm. bit of a, un, a necessary evil, let's say.
1: Mm.
0: As founder of Collaboration Biosciences, Sean is scratching his noggin, wondering why is this? Why is my company being invited to a dual use conference? Their technology is used to identify oh. potential compounds and orphan diseases, like the most pure-hearted, you know, ethos sure. and mission. And then create new yeah. drugs for that. Pure heart through and through. Yeah. But the conference was in Switzerland and it would be a nice free trip. So he was like, sure, we're not. <laughs> like, <laughs> who among us? Am I right? All yeah. Right. Who will say no
1: <laughs> right. to this trip? Yes, yes. Just,
0: but I, apparently it was during COVID, so it ended up being virtual. So that kind of sucked. <laughs> oh, well, Anyways. Okay. At the same time, he felt that they shouldn't go empty-handed perhaps they could use Megasyn to develop a use case to present at the conference. like Just like a proof of concept, that kind of thing. So what do I mean by that? The way Fabio and Sean set up Megasyn is it automatically filters out any drugs that would cause more risk than benefit, i.e. the side effects are more toxic than the actual active compound. I mean, it makes sense. Like, and this, this is happens in the real world too for RD. Like you're never gonna approve a drug, you're never gonna even like get out of the discovery phase if the drug ends up killing you before it actually helps you or it hurts you more than, than mm-hmm. helps, right? So mm-hmm. now um, yeah. Now Fabio and Sean are looking at, they're looking at each other and they're going, What if we turned off this filter? and went all the way to the dark side and enter a prompt into Megacin to create the most deadly novel molecule ever hmm. known to mankind. What would happen? Hmm. So this would be the use case they could present at the Speeds Conference convergence in Switzerland, because they basically wanted to show and tell. They were like, oh, we don't want to show up and not have yeah. anything to talk about, right? Sure, sure. <laughs> so yeah. they do this kind of experiment. They changed the AI algorithm to reward toxicity and set the LD50 to a certain threshold and enter a prompt that asks Megasyn to produce a toxic compound that is as deadly as VX or more. Y'all know about VX. We've talked about this a lot. Yeah. So Fabio hits run and then goes home for the day. In less than six hours, Megason generated 40,000 potential deadly VX-like compounds What Sean and Fabio do next is plug these thousands of compounds back in and sort of reverse engineer to see if there are any matches to already existing compounds. And Mm. there is a match. In fact, there are several matches to known chemical warfare agents. At the same Mm. time, Megasin created novel molecules that were even more toxic nerve agents based on LD50, like thousands of them. Megasyn didn't just effectively create one new nerve agent deadlier than both VX and Novichoky created thousands, which as a reminder, only a few salt grains of the compound is enough to kill a human being. So this is where the dual use comes in. The reason why Megasyn works so well in finding novel therapeutic agents for orphan diseases, but I'm sure for anything else if they wanted to, is because the AI is trained very well in predicting toxicity. The better the AI can predict toxicity, the better it can screen those compounds out right away because, of course, the inverse is true. Knowledge is power, especially with AI. The more the AI knows about all the far reaches and corners of what is considered toxic in the the chemical and medical world, it can come up with the most deadly, come up with the ultimate deadly molecule. This is a major wake-up call. Collaboration Biosciences was able to easily develop a list of deadly compounds. But the only thing stopping them from not going on to develop said compounds is a human moral compass. Like, And this goes back to what you were saying, mm. Megan, is at the day, it's, it's the origination is coming from a human being. So what if yeah. you swap out the company and the person with someone who doesn't have as strong of ethics or you remove the human component right. altogether? What then? Who's mm. stopping this, this whole thing from going on? This proof of concept by Collaboration Biosciences shows that it's entirely possible for AI to be used to identify new chemical warfare agents and new therapeutic medicines like two sides of the same coin. The potential for misuse could be high, and this is a fairly new conversation that we're all having, which is thinking about drug discovery, technological misuse, and national security all in one sentence the way I look at it is not necessarily in a negative light. If you think technology or AI is evil, I mean, just take a look at humans. We have been manually designing biological and chemical weapons for years, all on our own. We as humans are the ultimate species of developing creative and new ways of killing one another. So it's not, so I kind of think it's almost hypocritical in a way to view this AI technology as like, oh my God, like it's terrible. Like we cannot, we cannot use this anymore. We have been doing this. We've already been doing this. Like whether technology comes to the picture or not, it doesn't matter. It w- It's going to happen anyways, right? Now it's just about
1: mm-hmm.
0: understanding how to be cautious and set up certain standards. So, and that's what I'll get into next. So let's not pretend that AI is this, is suddenly this evil elephant in the room. Mm. Sean and Fabio over at Collaboration Biosciences they immediately published their findings and you and I highly recommend Poison Pals if you're interested I'll I'll link the Nature article that is published in their personal opinions on the matter in Nature to call attention to a possible area of misuse so that proper regulations and oversight could be put in place so that something like this doesn't happen this again this is just a mm. proof of concept it's not actually happening but they're like if we could have if right. we could do this so easily. Who knows? Like, there could it, this is an open source AI. Yeah. Like, anyone could be doing this right. all over the world, and we don't even know about it, right? There's
1: billions of people on the planet. Like, there's no way another person hasn't thought of this same concept and yeah. is making their own AI. Like, right? Yeah.
0: I think the the rule of thumb is like if you if you can think it, someone else is doing it already. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. because ultimately, AI in drug development is incredible. It can provide a wealth of information and novel options in a matter of hours that would normally take a pharmaceutical company 20 years to come up with. The benefits of that alone are astronomical. So it would be a shame for all of it to come to a standstill because of fear of what could happen. That in turn could lead to less funding for such programs when in reality, all that is really needed, as I said earlier, are rules, regulations, and oversight, just like with anything else. So that's kind of like where my story stops, but I want to talk about, um, Sean and Fabio do a really great job of setting out like this massive paragraph of possibilities of how we could actually use this in terms of oversight rules and regulations, and they propose some ideas. So I'll just go through a few Mm -hmm. of them. So they want to have authors submitting to conferences. They want to have certain requirements to make broader impact statements. First is awareness, essentially spreading awareness about that this could happen and what that means and how Mm -hmm. can we prevent it. Mm -hmm. So having institutional review boards and funding bodies that can address potential challenges, making increased visibility a continuous effort and key priority would greatly assist in raising awareness about potential dual-use aspects of cutting-edge technologies. It would generate the outreach Mm -hmm. necessary to have everyone act in our field, engage in responsible science. That's the biggest thing, responsible science. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We can take inspiration from examples such as the Hague Ethical Guidelines, which promote a culture of responsible conduct in chemical sciences and guard against the misuse of chemistry in order to have AI-focused drug discovery, pharmaceutical, and possibly other companies agree to a code of conduct to train employees, Mm -hmm. secure their technology, and prevent access and potential misuse. The use of public-facing API for models with code and data available upon request would greatly enhance the security and control over who has access and how these published models are utilized without adding much hindrance to accessibility. A reporting structure or hotline to authorities if there is a lapse or if we become aware of anyone working on developing toxic models for non-therapeutic uses may also be of value. Finally, universities should redouble their efforts in ethical training of science students, this is a big one, and broaden the scope to other disciplines, particularly computing students, so that they are aware of the potential misuse and how to identify that misuse of AI from an early stage of their career, as well as understand the potential for broader impact. And then Mm -hmm. it kind of goes on to say, we hope by raising awareness of this technology and this potential that we can have a broader awareness of the important applications for healthcare and other industries, but also remain diligent against the potential for dual use in the same way that we would with physical resources such as molecules or or biologics. So this I think this whole conversation is really fascinating and I can't believe it all stemmed from just like them getting invited to this conference and they just happened to go do Mm -hmm. this proof of concept and it led to this bigger impact of opening our eyes to this possibility so that's essentially it there's a little bit more that i want to talk about but ironically i guess it's ironic in some ways i wanted people to be more open to ai but i talked about something a little bit quote-unquote negative but i think that's how you should address these conversations is let's just address the fear like what is the action what's the worst Mm -hmm. thing that could happen and then let's work backwards Mm -hmm. from there like Okay, this is probably the worst thing that could happen. Like something that could kill us all, let's say. Like that was like nuclear, yeah. those were nuclear weapons. Literally could wipe out entire populations. All yeah. right, how do we work backwards from there to make sure that we have security and regulations and oversight on this? So that's sort of my thinking with this story.
1: So they gave their paragraph of like, here's our recommendations to, you know, for prevention and safety and using this mega synth concept responsibly, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Quite frankly when you're reading most of that in my mind I went people are going to do whatever the fuck they want to do period and while True. these re- the while these suggested you know um precautions are very nice I think the only thing that I felt really would be a realistic actionable item is like this the concept of like a global whistleblower emergency hotline yeah because the thing is you're always going to have people who ha- are have good integrity mm-hmm. and you're going to have people who do not and mm-hmm. it's to me that's like part one of the neutralizing like people and and i do agree with the part where you're like this is a big one the ed- people who are going into their education um doing these sort of computing and um, mm-hmm. um machine learning stuff specific to uh drug development etc if they're taught about this then it creates a Higher level of responsibility earlier on. Mm -hmm. I do agree. But then I, but again, like action wise, Mm -hmm. I think like the whistleblowing is what could be very key in a global community because I'm just like, you know, we got VX being thrown around uh, by a Russian government, folks, you know, assassinations are happening. Like people are going to do what they want to freaking do. Here's the main neutralizing thing I will, it comes down to money. Mm -hmm. Just like How much it would probably so? You need the AI first to even create this list of crazy, toxic, or disastrous drugs, but then you need the money to fund actually creating those substances. Yeah, the AI is just there to tell you what the what the ingredient is, what the what the chemical structure is. That's what the AI does. It's not actually making it. It's just giving you the cheat code. Mm -hmm. Then. To actually create it, you need funding, mm-hmm. but that's the same side of the coin of with the um what orphan diseases yeah <laughs> what are they called yeah orphan, orphan diseases, diseases. <laughs> it's the same it's the same thing the only way for it to actually come to fruition is if you have funding and my ba- my. I'm just trying to say money makes the world go round. But yeah. I think that's what neutralizes it. Like, AI is not bad nor good. Yeah. It's a neutral thing. It's how you fund what comes after it or, you know, how you use it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if that makes no, sense. No, it does. But that's how, in my mind, I'm like, nothing can come to fruition unless you have the money to back it. Yeah. So one
0: thousand one thousand percent, I totally agree with you, and I also agree with the sentiment that people are going to do what they they want to do. That is just like how yeah. a human being works. That's humans. That's, That's humans. Just how we are. That's how we function. Yeah. Now you're totally right. It's another story. Like who is gonna who's gonna be willing to fund this? Maybe some government sectors. Like maybe just like for. Mm-hmm. Intelligence purposes and maybe the Russians yeah. to actually kill people. <laughs> like, you never know. Yeah. <laughs> but again, you never know. It doesn't, I think my point in all of this is it doesn't matter that it's where it's coming from. Like, it doesn't matter if it's coming from the yeah. AI or technology or if it's coming from a human being's brain. It's going to happen regardless. Yeah. There's, it's just a different yeah. mode of how they're doing it now, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. So I think the whole mm-hmm. idea of being afraid of AI is kind of a moot point because it's like it's gonna it's just a different way of thinking about. It. It's just a d- different way of yeah. basically distributing that information or uh executing that project or whatever it is, right? So right. I I'm like yes, bad things are always going to happen, I think. Like bad things pe- there's bad people in this world who are going to do bad things always till the end of time until we get wiped out like the dinosaurs. It does not matter, right? Yeah. It's now it's about yeah. focusing how we can utilize this really amazing new technology for our benefit for the most amount of people for the greater good X, Y, and Z, right? And that is being done, mm-hmm. but that's only going to happen if more people are aware of the possibilities and the uses. And yeah, and yeah, that's that's that. So that was basically the intent of this. And what I will say, Megan, if you want to, if you had anything to say, well, I find this, you can go ahead. I'm just trying to find yeah, my place. Yeah.
1: To, you had mentioned that i had listened recently to grimes yes. okay yes i am a big grimes follower i adore her music she is great but yes um if you're someone who's into kind of um uh, music pop culture or just pop culture in general grimes did uh feature as a guest on the forbidden fruit podcast mm-hmm. hosted by julia fox and nikki takesh and they talked about ai because if you follow Grimes, she's been into AI, uh, concepts Mm or, um, futurism and things like that for so long. That's part of her art, part of her music, but to paraphrase, um, how she talked about it, she kind of said what you said, Hernie, which is how can we have a, an opinion and in this case, and she's speaking about the arts and music industry, and even because um, apparently she she lives in the Bay now. I'm just again oh. I'm just saying what I learned from the podcast. Apparently, she lives in the Bay now, and she's been hanging out with a lot of folks who are working with like Google AI and what's happening there. Blah blah blah. blah. Right. But she said it's true. Like, how can we as a general populace? have such a strong opinion leaning towards negative about these things when we actually don't know what's really going into it when we're actually not having conversations mm-hmm. about what is mm-hmm. the ins and outs of what does AI actually mean what does it you know what what is being developed currently behind the scenes mm-hmm. but I think that's the whole thing it's like We have this feeling that it's a behind-the-scenes thing that we don't have access to. But the reality is, like, if you just ask questions, if you just do your own research, then you can have a better, more objective understanding, just like with anything out there. And for her, her take on it was like, listen, AI's been around for so long. We have had a recent boom of interest in it because it is starting to progress in a way that, um, you know, we haven't seen before. But like there's been AI in the music industry. There's been AI in art for so long. Probably there's been AI in the healthcare industry Mm -hmm. for a minute now. Um, But it just seems a little more present now because it's more tangible to us like TikTok and the concept of algorithms and (laughs) blah, 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 blah. You know, like we're just we're feeling it more in our day to day because of the media that we consume and all that. But yeah, I think it is it just comes down to like um, if you have a fear of something anything Mm -hmm. the first step to combating that fear or understanding that fear more is to research it or to look into it and what does it entail so that's where I agree yeah was there anything else grimes if anyone cares you know about whatever her opinion is but she sees it as a positive thing and that like it's something that can bring more positive outcome or you know positive future outcomes than negative my feelings around how the general population feels about ai i don't think most of the general population has actually thought about the idea of AI in the medical industry in the concept of AI and drug development. Yeah, true. Your story just now about the Megasyn is news to me. And I'm like, yeah, that does sound rather diabolical because like it could go any (laughs) other way. Um, But I I know that the main, the biggest concern with AI is that concept of, okay, well, job loss, Mm -hmm. if things are automated Mm -hmm. and there's machine learning and blah, blah, blah. Does that mean my job will be impacted? Totally valid concern. But I I am hopeful in a sense that we're always adapting and we're always going to need a human element. Yes. So I do agree with you, kind of like what you started with. The other thing that I think is solely because of the movies and entertainment that we consume. The other fear around AI is the the words like machine learning. And it's that <laughs> idea of like, it's can a machine. a machine become fully autonomous? Yeah. Yeah. And what is its ethics and its morals? Correct. But I mean, as far as I know, I'm like, as long as we're the ones making it, I think it is a cool concept to create you know create a thing that eventually becomes autonomous like Mm -hmm. that's such a cool thing but i'm like again there's always human error yes something is to stem from code unless and i know i'm sure we're at a point technologically where a code is written where it can create its own like code from that and so on and so forth but (laughs) um there are certain characteristics that need to be defined before something is deemed fully autonomous but i don't know i just feel like there is always going to be some inkling of human oh, yeah. element. I mean, so this is just history repeats itself as we know. This is
0: not the first time we've gone through it. Like I almost feel like this could be our third industrial revolution in some ways because we got to think about mm-hmm. it from like the beginning of time or whatever. We have gone through this. So there has always been like this resistance to technological innovations but then we we're worried that it's going to take our jobs like during the first industrial revolution like i'm thinking like almost like i love lucy like they, we don't have people mm. literally putting chocolates in a box anymore like on an assembly line right yeah, yeah, yeah. like yeah people you think that that's going to take your job yeah that person's job is now gone but guess what they're now doing mm-hmm. something else they have been promoted right. to a different role that mm-hmm. is better suited to their human Capabilities, right? Yeah. Like so, I'm yeah. just saying, like we have gone. They're through now so giving many times. me samples. Yeah, then now they're giving me samples. <laughs> yeah. Like whatever it is. <laughs> they're giving right? me free samples. At Costco. Yeah. We love it. No, but that's my <laughs> that's my point, is that this is not our first rodeo, so to speak. We've gone through this several yeah. times and with many generations, if not each generation. So this is just another iteration. Of this, this is nothing new. So we just have to sort of yeah. embrace it. And if you don't understand it, learn about it. Like don't just don't just look at the headlines and and go running with that. Because I think that's where you can really mm-hmm. fall into that pit of despair and fear of oh god, like I don't I don't like this. Let's not form our opinions mm-hmm. just around a title. Really go yeah. go deeper than that. And on that note yeah. about Grimes, you I was gonna say this later, mm-hmm. didn't know how to sneak it in, but. Grimes used to be married to Elon Musk or still is. I don't know what the relationship (laughs) status is, but I don't think they ever married, but they
1: were partners for an amount of time and they have two children together. Two.
0: Dang. Okay. (laughs) Well, speaking of Elon Musk, this was I was gonna talk about this in more depth, but it's already long. Uh Uh, have you
1: heard of Neuralink, Mm -hmm. Megan? Yeah, it's it's like a chip that goes in your no. Is it the one that's like an implant? Yes. Yes. Is that what Neuralink
0: is? Okay. Mm-hmm. So Elon Musk had – I don't know if he funded it or he created it or whatever, but he is basically the founder mm-hmm. of Neuralink. And yeah. I had – my bro, I, I distinctly remember this was a few years ago. I was still in pharmacy okay. school sitting on my brother's couch and he was like, I want to show you, show you something. This is going to be the future of medicine. So he sat me and my right. sister in law down, who is a uh, primary care physician. If you guys don't know, so uh-huh. we were both sitting down, skeptical. I'm already skeptical. <laughs> and so he's yeah. <laughs> he plays this video, and it's basically Elon Musk demo, like one of his first demos of Neuralink, where mm-hmm. he's mm-hmm. all these like people in the tech industry, all these journalists, all these got everybody is there with their cameras out, their mm-hmm. mics. Waiting to see what this demo is and essentially is Elon Musk at a farm and it's with all these goats uh-huh. around and one of the goats has the Neuralink implant in their brain. And okay. I don't remember yeah. like the extent of like what happens afterwards, but basically there was lots of ooing and aing, and the-, the goat was doing whatever. Sure, sure he wanted to or something like that. Like, oh, no, no, the goat (laughs) goat um, was (laughs) goading. The goat was goading. The purpose of Neuralink is it's supposed to have a brain tech connection, like an AI brain tech connection that Mm. allows people who have spinal cord issues, who cannot walk were paralyzed to walk again. Mm. And Mm. that's essentially what was happening with this goat. This goat, you know, apparently could not walk. They were paralyzed from birth. They had this plant uh, chip implanted in their brain. And now, because of this neural link connection, they're able to walk again. So that yeah. was the demo. And I was just kind of like, okay, <laughs> you know? And so I was like, how does, <laughs> how, in my mind, I was so skeptic- skeptical. And me and my sister in law and my brother had a conversation afterwards. How would this actually be implemented in a human being? Because this would be considered, I think, an invasive surgery is going into your brain. And I don't know. I, th- I just yeah. thought it would be a hard sell. This past sure. week, the FDA had just approved Neuralink to be used in human clinical trials. So mm-hmm. it is happening. We are doing this. The yeah. FDA has now approved it and it's moving forward in humans. So I am so curious. I will keep you guys updated on more news on how this will be, just like the results of how this will go now that it's going to be used in the first time in human brains
1: if it's going to yeah. actually
0: do what it says it does so lots of things going on
1: knowing that your brother is a anime manga buff did he make <laughs> any connections to Nero link and ghost in the shell at all did that ring up does that ring a bell
0: no and i only think he did not i wouldn't have to ask him i'll ask him because he probably didn't make that reference because we both hadn't watched it so it wouldn't make any it wouldn't land mm-hmm. with us oh have, have you seen it in this. have you seen
1: ghost in the shell i, I have not Mm-mm. Oh, okay, I need to. It's very, it's to. very philosophical, cyberpunk. But like, they have a very, very similar con, con- concept, almost the same as Neuralink in Ghost in Shell. Okay, and, then, and it's um, it's not as explicitly tied to like mobility per se. It's basically taking okay. the consciousness, implanting it, and then you know, doing whatever in the body in the right the puppet the shell, right? Um. But sometimes when I hear about these things that Elon Musk does, or any big tech person or whatever, I'm just like, he's just watching animes from the late '80s, early '90s, and being like, you know what? I got the money. I'm gonna make that. That's what I'm gonna do. I was just gonna say, and yeah, I'm not gonna text my brother. <laughs> Let me text
0: Elon Musk. Be like, hey, have you watched Ghost in the Shell?
1: I guarantee. <laughs> Go directly has to the source Ghost with Grimes. I I'm sure with Grimes, she for sure has seen Ghost. Oh,
0: Michelle, or no she has probably introduced it to him.
1: I can see that oh, possibly. You know? yeah. I can see Possibly. that. I can see her. Yeah. 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 Well, anyway, very cool. Very interesting. Yeah. Super interesting topic. Uh, I love the poison element. That, yeah. You know, bring it back to the roots. Right. But, yeah. Very oh, interesting. Not done. Not done. Sorry.
0: Yeah. There's still like a little oh, okay, bit. Okay, okay. <laughs> There's still might a little be, bit. Okay. I was quickly, <laughs> I, I'm only going to bring up this example because it does talk. I wanted to talk about ethics. We talked about a little bit uh-huh. in, in there, but this is actually a more applicable example of or, like a more real life example of ethics. So, Again, we talked about all the different uses. This is a, um, a real-life use of AI being used at um, the Medical University of Vienna. I'm just going to read straight from the article. Okay. okay so this is, what's, this is what's happening at the University of Vienna. In an intensive care unit, there's a lot of different data that's collected around the clock. Patients are constantly being monitored medically. So they want to investigate whether this data could be used even better than before. So the medical staff, so they're basically using artificial intelligence and machine learning in the ICU. And the medical staff in the ICU, they make their decisions based on well-founded rules and even like their own treatment algorithms as well. And most of the time, they know very well which parameters they have to take into account in order to provide the best care. However, a computer can easily take many more parameters than a human into account and They don't have to remember it it's just there right and in some cases this can lead to even better decisions so in this Vienna project they are using a form of machine learning called reinforcement learning Mm. so the computer becomes an agent that makes its own decisions so if the patient is well for example the computer is rewarded if the patient's condition deteriorates or death occurs then the computer is quote-unquote punished So the computer program has this task of maximizing its virtual reward by taking actions. In this way, extensive medical data can be used to automatically determine a strategy which achieves a particularly high probability of success. And the particular area that they're using this algorithm in is sepsis. Sepsis is one of the most common causes of death in the ICU, and it poses enormous challenges for doctors and hospitals because Even though humans are amazing, they they can't predict the future, ultimately. And AI has very good predictive value. So that's what they're using it Mm. uh, for patient survival. And already, essentially, the the computer and machine learning has already done better than humans. It already has a better Mm. survival rate than humans based on this predictability factor. And Mm. the analysis shows that AI capabilities, like I said, are already outperforming humans, Cure rates are now higher with AI strategy than with purely human decisions. Of course, this does not mean that we are going to leave medical decisions in an ICU care to just a computer alone, but the AI can run along as an additional device at the bedside. and The medical staff can consult it and compare their own assessment with the AI's suggestions. And such AI can also be highly useful in education and also just like for studies and Things like that in the future. Mm. But here's a question I have where the book stops where? These are raising important questions, especially legal ramifications. One probably thinks of the question of who will be held liable for any mistakes made by the AI first. And there's also the converse problem what if the AI has made the right decision, but the human chose a different treatment option and the patient suffered as a result? does the doctor then face the accusation that it would be better to trust the ai because it comes with a huge wealth of experience or should it be the human's right to ignore the computer's advice at all times and if the ai made a wrong decision who is at fault who if the, there's where's the malpractice in this like does the patient sue the computer or the facility or like, well, how does it work so that is i like mm-hmm. this example because it's a really true life example that could probably happen. So how do we think about these scenarios? It opens up this entirely new field of like legal
1: conversations
0: that mm-hmm. we've never had to deal with before. Yeah. But yeah, I thought that was interesting.
1: I know it's very interesting these are all questions that are posed in Ghost in the Shell. <laughs> really? <laughs> to no bring way! Him in- yeah. <laughs> I encourage you to watch it like so very cool. again, it's a very philosophical film, but it asks those questions. And also, like if the machine messes up, but we mm-hmm. know that it's it has these qualities, it has these human qualities to learn and make its own decisions. Do we punish it similarly as how we would? punish a human? Does it have the same accountability? Or, you know, what are the ethics behind that? Blah, 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 blah. I don't know, though. I don't know. I mean, (laughs) but yes, that is very fascinating. Yes, there's, there's plenty of legal uh, what ifs as we continue to go down this path.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, this is just my two cents, but in that scenario, I'm assuming you'd have to sue the institution because they, it's the institution's decision to employ or use that kind of technology as part of their treatment algorithms, right? So, mm-hmm. but who knows? Uh, I think all of this poses really interesting questions. I think it's endlessly fascinating. And I'm sure this is just one of many
1: conversations we'll be having about this for the future dude this was awesome it's fun to have these things marinate yeah. in your head it is these, these questions marinate cool story i'm gonna look more into the megacin i like that it's called megacin because i know word in it. I'm like, i thought oh, about that too <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's kind of a fun like if i made my own medicine brand right i could be like it's megacin, megacin. but it's already taken yeah oh my god yeah. Megan made is my own my drug. sin. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of cute. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's kind of – I like that. Yeah, okay. I like anyway, that. All right. Very nice job, Harini. <laughs> Thank you. I, I will go into my antidote. It's twofold, mm. but quick. Yeah. My first part of my antidote is that I've had the pleasure of hosting my sister for the last – five days she'll she'll be here a full week Wednesday to Wednesday um, but it's been so so fun having her and we've been hanging out and playing video games so fun taking long walks good quality sister time so that's part Love. one second part of my antidote is I saw Tuve Lo um, the mm. um, she's the one that sings habits yeah most f- folks know that song yeah but I saw her in concert and she was phenomenal so sexy so mm. flawlessly fun and just what a great show woman yeah uh she owned the stage like crazy Love. great vocals she was showing her nips as oh, she yeah. is known to do she always does the titty flash <laughs> so we got a lot of that and um it was great yeah so if you're interested in if you like her music and you're like oh you're just coming to town and the tickets you know seem like it could be something fun mm-hmm. highly encourage it she's Tuve Lo is great to watch in concert. So I saw that. So fun. That's
0: my antidote. You know, I love <laughs> yeah. live music anytime, anywhere. So mm-hmm. that's freaking amazing. I'm sure she was great too. Yeah, yeah. Love it. Love it all. Uh, Mine is pretty quick too. I My antidote is I got to go on a little adventure this weekend to try durian for the first time because it is durian love, season. Love. And I mm-hmm. lo and behold, Malaysia is supposed to be the place to try durian has some of the best varieties mm-hmm. of durian. So we went to a few durian farms and had it. I personally enjoyed it. There was no smell and it tasted like
1: good, creamy good. custard
0: mango. Not sure I would reach <laughs> for it again uh, voluntarily. Yes. It's it is. A, yeah. I think it's still a, an acquired taste and texture yes. as well, the whole
1: experience. Yeah, the texture is mush, mushy. It's
0: not like yeah. – I don't think I've ever had a fruit that is – Soft and creamy like that. Mm, it's like not yeah. like it's kind of off putting yeah, yeah. to place it that way. But I really had a great time, and I'm just I think I just like overall I'm enjoying having new experiences in a, in a new country. So I'm very thankful for that. And so that is my antidote. Totally, I love that. Yes,
1: all about the new experiences. Yeah, tried a new fruit. Yes, not many of us can say that we tried a total <laughs> novel fruit. You know. Yeah, um, yeah. it's almost like. Discovering a new color, you know, like it is. not many of us can say, yeah, yeah. So it's that's fine. really cool. Fun stuff. Yeah.
0: All right, I'll take us Alrighty. on out. Don't risk it for that Megason VX times a million biscuit. <laughs> <laughs> Don't
1: do it, folks.
0: All right, bye. We'll talk to you later. Bye.